Hello and welcome to the Art of Selling Online Courses. We're here to share winning strategies and secret hacks from top performers in the online course industry. My name is John Ainsworth and today's guest is David Jennings. In 2016, David successfully systemized himself out of his business, one of Australia's most trusted digital agencies, Melbourne SEO. And through this process, he became a systems devotee. He founded System Hub and Systemology. He's written a book on the topic, Systemology, Create Time, Reduce Errors, and Scale Your Profits with Proven Business Systems. And today, his mission is to free all business owners worldwide from the daily operations of running their business. So we're going to be talking today about why to create business systems and where to get started and how to do it. Before we dive into our interview with today's guest, I've got an important question for you. Do you own a course or authority site? And if you do, did you know there's a short list of techniques that can help you double to quadruple your revenue? There's about eight techniques my team uses to help online course creators grow their revenue. And the average rate of return from using these techniques is 428%. So if you want to learn more about them and how they can help scale your income, go to courseprofitreport.com, fill in the survey, and we will create a personalized profit increase report for you. So go to courseprofitreport.com. David, welcome to the show. Pleasure. Really looking forward to this, John. So I want to start with this. A lot of the people listening don't have lots of systems at the moment. The first question then is, should you always systemize everything in your business? Is there anything that you should be like, oh, no, actually, just leave that as chaos for now? Or should you always be creating systems? Depending on where you're at in your business journey and what team you've got around you will often dictate what you systemize and what you don't. It's common misconception to think that you should start off systemizing maybe something critical to what you're doing as the business owner. Generally speaking, though, if you're small or you're a solopreneur, it's best to systemize everything around the magic. If you bring the magic when you chat with a client or when you deliver the product or service, start off by systemizing everything else around that. Maybe it's the way that you do some of your online marketing or posting on social media or the way that you handle the incoming inquiry or the way that you pre-screen leads, whatever it might be. Think about what are those administrative tasks? Because more than likely, that's going to be one of the first tasks that you end up getting an assistant to help out with. You're not necessarily going to hire someone who's going to jump in and start doing the coaching or the consulting through to the end clients that might happen a little bit further down the line. So it is just a stepping stone and you go through like these series of stages and you slowly keep chunking off uh, parts of the work that you're doing to an assistant and other team members to make sure that you're working on higher and higher value tasks. That's, that's a big part of this process. One of the things I found with this, that was really helpful. Someone gave me the advice to start with, Anything that is the simpler, the better, and the more often that you do it, the better. Like if it's something that was really simple, but you only do it every so often, it's like, okay, well, you're not going to get that much benefit. But if it's something that's quite simple and straightforward, you could get somebody else to do, and it happens every single week, then it's like, for goodness sake, get make a system for that and get somebody else to do it. Yeah, that, that's a great place to start. And um, an extra little bit you can add to that. Uh, I talk about it in the systemology book. One of the most common questions is where do I start? Mm. What are the first systems that I create? And I have this process I call the critical client flow. And it starts off with getting very clear 
who your dream client is? What is the primary product or service that you would sell to that dream client as almost like the gateway or the entry to your product line and your services that you offer? And then you map the linear journey that that prospect and then client goes through to deliver that product or service. So you would say, well, how do I capture that person's attention? When their inquiry comes in, how does it come in and how do I respond? What does the sales process look like? Is there a sales process? Do we meet on Zoom? Do we have a discussion? Do I send them a proposal? After that, how do I follow them up? When they're ready to go, when they make payment, do I take 50% up front and 50% on completion? Or do I take all of the money up front? And how do I then get them into my system? Is there some sort of onboarding process? Are they filling out a questionnaire? Are they getting entered into a CRM, then the delivery of the work, what is the product or service that I'm delivering? And then finally, once that's done and you're handing it over, um, what does that final piece look like where you're making sure that you've delivered it, they're happy, and then you can sell them into ongoing services. Now, you can map that out on an A4 bit of paper, really high level, just a few words in each box, almost like a, like a workflow type diagram and that's a great place to start because if you think about it like this, you go, if we can systemize the way that the business makes money without any key person dependency, then you're on the right track. Now, you can go a step further to then think about where in the critical client flow is the pain. Oftentimes, there's something that the business owner knows or that they're actively avoiding or subconsciously avoiding where they're like, oh, you know, I see this all the time sometimes with the solo operators where they actually, they don't even realize that they're doing it, but it's like they sabotage the sale because in the back of their head, they know if I make this sale, that's going to equal work and I'm already busy right now, I'm full, this is going to be more pain. So then yeah. they start to push away the client and that's because they haven't yet figured out how can we deliver a product or service and increase the capacity so it isn't so dependent on them. So sometimes having a look at the critical client flow and thinking, if I was to 10X my client load or my lead flow, what breaks first? Mm. And then, or what am I avoiding? And that can also be a great way to kind of diagnose where do you start? But just, you know, 10 to 15 systems out of the critical client flow, like you said, thinking about what a an assistant might do, what's repetitive. Maybe one of your attention generating methods is posting consistently on LinkedIn and replying to people when they pop up in your inbox. Well, that's something that's pretty repetitive. It's part of the critical client flow. It's part of your lead generation strategy. Well, that might be a good place or a good system to put in place for a, a virtual assistant to step in. Nice. Okay. And I'm just trying to think this through in terms of for our listeners here. A lot of them, so they don't have clients themselves. They're selling courses that are, are do-it-yourself ones. So the flow there might be less kind of about the client, more about the, like, what's your process of how do you set up your email promotions or something like that? Um, Does that look, fit? What do you think? Generally speaking, the systems you want to be thinking about, things that are recurring in nature. So setting mm -hmm. up a lead magnet or setting up a course, once it's done, you're not really continuing to do that much more to it. So sometimes when you do that critical client flow exercise, there might be certain things that just aren't relevant. Well, I'm not really issuing out a proposal in this example. I don't really have this sales process. So you can kind of slip over that. The delivery component is going to be potentially once you set it up with your marketing automation tools and whatever, it's going to all be automated. So they might go, Ooh, 
I need to lean in on my lead generation methods. Mm-hmm. So you already start to go, well, I, I've already got everything built out on the back end. And if I 10X my clients, my delivery isn't going to break. My issue at the moment is how do I 10X my client, mm. and my, my leads? And, and then you might start to focus in on those marketing systems. Um, again, it'll depend on the, the business and there might be different parts of it where maybe it's a course and part of the course is you also have a monthly ask me anything call, or maybe you've got a circle community that you invite the group into in the back end, and then you do some customer service and continue to engage that community. Well, there are probably some activities around that, around the delivery, around scheduling that call, taking the recordings, get it posted in the right spot, capturing inquiries when they come in and, you know, answering those responses in the community. So it just takes a little bit of extra thought going through it, but there, there will be parts in that critical client flow because a critical client flow is getting clear on a target audience, having a product or service that solves one of their needs on what they want, mm-hmm. getting that client, everybody needs clients. What does that sales process potentially look like if there is one or if they're ordering straight from the site? And there's the delivery component. So, I mean, that that's that's business. So just some areas you m- might need to put more systems in around, let's say, the marketing or some of these other areas. And so you, you've mentioned the systemology framework. What is the what is the framework? Is that the thing you've just gone through, the critical client flow? So th- there are seven stages. So when I read the e-myth, so Michael Gerber, one of the, the classic books on business systemization, and, and really a lot of the great books in business talk about and build the case for systems. Ever had a discussion with a business owner where we've said, oh, business systems, they're rubbish. They're not worth the time. Like we always go at some point in time, you're going to need systems. And we all agree that. Then the question becomes, where do I start? Mm -hmm. Who should be building them? Where should they be stored? To what level of detail do I go? How do I optimize them? What systems am I needing for scale? Like it's the system for systemizing. It's, I know we had the discussion just before we hit record around when I read Vern Harnage's book, Scaling Up, I felt like, oh, great. There's a lot of tools there. And it kind of gave me all the pieces, but the order wasn't there. And then I read the book Traction by Gino Wickman, and it felt like he'd taken a lot of those tools and then put it into a systematic approach. And I kind of feel like that's what systemology is. Systemology is the how-to guide of the e-myth. It answers the question, where do we get started? And step number one is the critical client flow, but there are six other steps that follow. So step number one is what we call define, which is pick the first 10 to 15 systems that you're going to work on. Step number two is assign, which is understanding where the knowledge currently exists. This is probably a little bit more relevant for people who have some team members around them. Oftentimes the business owner thinks they're the only ones that can create the systems. Yet sometimes, depending on the size of your team, other team members might already know how to do things and we can extract it from their brain. And that's really step Mm. number three. Step number three is extracting. How do we make systems creation simple and easy? So particularly for a smaller audience on what we're talking about, um, let's say the solo people or the people with a handful of team members or contractors that they're working with, generally speaking, I mean, you're pretty busy anyway, business owner listening to this right now, the thought of creating systems and processes, you know, you don't have enough space to do your regular work, let alone do this. So we need to talk about, well, how do we make systems creation easy? And we talk about, you know, 
doing recordings, Loom and Zoom and creating a system for systems. And um, maybe you're not the right person to be doing the documentation. Maybe you record yourself doing the task and then you get a virtual assistant who makes the system. Maybe that first virtual assistant that you get who's ultimately going to take over some of your administrative tasks is they watch the video of you explaining the administrative tasks. They generate the system on how that task is done and then if they feel capable, then they can execute on that. So when that- I first found out that that was possible, it blew my mind. I loved it so much. I was like, oh, I don't even have to write up the SOP. I can get the person who I can show someone, record them a video about it or go through it on a call or whatever. And then they write it up and then they can send it back to me. I was just like, this is amazing. This is like yeah. I found the cheat code in business. This is so cool, you know. And plus what I found was, and I'm guessing this is kind of common, is that people bought into the system more when they were the one who'd written it up rather than me having written it up as well. A hundred percent. And I think this is where a lot of business owners go wrong. When we talk about systems and processes in their head, they're thinking that they're going to have to create all of these systems and Mm. processes. And they have a picture in their head of what they think a system or a process is. And then they go, oh, wow, this just feels like work. And then they... Uh, avoid it. The, the, I don't like writing systems and processes myself. I'm a systems guy who wrote a systems book called Systemology, but I don't like writing systems and processes. As a business owner, you want to fall in love with the result of what the systems bring. Don't fall in love with the documentation. I now know what a business with systems looks like versus one that doesn't. And it's night and day. And I will never run a business again that doesn't have systems in place because there's just no comparison. And I've fallen in love and I've seen what it can do for me as a business owner. And that's why I then find the right team members around me who can really drive it, just like you said. And it's those first three stages. We uh, define, we assign, we extract. And then step number four is we organize. Where is this knowledge going to be stored? And having a central online location that multiple team members can hook into so that oftentimes people, you know, it's stored in their Google Drive and some of it's on their desktop and some of it's sitting over Dropbox folder and some of it's in their project management platform. And before they know it, it's everywhere. You kind of need to really organize that knowledge, understanding it's the the central brain of the business. So that's the uh, fourth step is, is organized. The fifth step is what we call integrate. Again, that's got more to do with if you've got a team around you, but how do you get them bought into the process? Because business owners often think because they don't like systems and processes, they assume that no one likes systems and processes. But the, the reality is A players, if you can show them how to win in your business and a system helps them understand what winning looks like, they will actually really embrace it. And if they're built up in this systems culture from day one, there's no real resistance. The resistance always happens if you've got a team member that's been with you for 10 years and they say, oh, you're trying to put a system in place. I've always done it this way. It's always worked. Why why do I have to change now? That's usually where the resistance comes in. But if you build this culture and new team members are shown that this is just how we do things here, then there's no resistance. So we talk a little bit about that. Step number six is this idea of scale. If the critical client flow is where you start, then step number six is about 
what are the other systems that you're going to need to scale? As you start to grow and you find traction, you're going to need to recruit staff and onboard staff. You're going to need to get some management systems. And again, coming back to traction, I think you and I are both a big lover of Gino's work and a lot of what he does around you know, meeting cadence and what's covered in those meetings like that, those types of systems. And then the final stage is the optimized stage. And again, another area where a lot of people go wrong is they try and optimize too early and you're better off just capturing what you're currently doing and getting some consistency out of that. If you can make, even if it's not world-class, but it's happening consistently, most small businesses struggle with consistency because it always relies on them. Mm. But if they can get something happening that's relying on someone else, that becomes your baseline. And then you can improve and optimize after that. So what I always say as you start to systemize, capture what you're currently doing, not what you would like to be doing. And systemology is a little bit different because some of the other methodologies out there, they're all process improvement, lean and Six Sigma, and they all pre-assume it's in the name. You're improving a process, which assumes you've got a process to improve. But (laughs) systemology is about process capture. Like let's first get version one down, then we can improve later. Yeah, love it. Okay, I want to go back to a couple of things you said there. One thing you said was business owners assume that because they don't like processes, other people don't like them either. Do you find, is that a common thing that business owners don't like following processes themselves? It's a lot of this idea of the visionary creative versus the integrator. And that mm-hmm. visionary oftentimes is a big picture thinker. So there are times where a visionary creative or a business owner will connect with process. It's also quite common for that just not to be in their sweet spot. And the integrator is the person who crosses the T's, dots the I's, is really particular around the operational side of things, which they'll connect really well with the systems message. If anybody doesn't heard the whole visionary integrator model, it's it's from a book, or at least I first learned about it in a book called Rocket Fuel. Could you give everybody a really quick summary of like what those kind of two roles are in the business? Yeah. And Gino uh, Wickman wrote that Rocket Fuel book. There's a lot of pre-work prior to him coming out where people sometimes talk about it versus the leader versus the manager. So it's the same sort of languaging where you've got the leader who is thinking about the vision for the business. Oftentimes they might be the founder who gets it up and running. They move quick. They break things. They just go wherever their attention needs. Um, They're they're not great at follow through, but they're really great at quick start. And that's great to get a business off the ground, but there'll become a point if you want to kind of grow it beyond a small team, you want to then bring in uh, that manager or that integrator, which is more of the Uh, the manager who has better follow through is very particular on systems process, making sure that things are done to a certain standard and things are done consistently. And that visionary creative loves to make things up and reinvent things and solve big problems. Whereas the integrator or the manager is the person that makes sure there's follow through. You've made a promise and now let's make sure that we deliver on that promise. Yeah, some different people have done some different work on it, but I feel like Rocket Fuel really, as a book, captures that idea really well. It's 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 funny hearing you describe this because I'm like, 
yes, 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 yes. <laughs> it's yeah. like, I love systems. I love them, but I don't want to follow them myself. Like yeah, I can't right. stand it, right? I don't like writing them. I don't like following them, but I love the fact that we've got them. I love pulling stuff apart and breaking it. Basically, I had to make a rule with the, the integrator in my business, Yosef, that I just wasn't allowed to be involved in any part of the business that was working because yeah. <laughs> it's like when you just leave it alone i just i just i'm like oh but i could make it better and i'm like i pull it apart and i rebuild it and it's better but it takes three months and in the meantime we lost loads of money it's just like stop doing that it's working yeah so, um i totally relate be, on that one and it'd be very common i'm imagining for every person listening to this like you've got course creators mm-hmm. which means most likely you are a creator you're that visionary thinking who who can think of a problem out there in the world that's not properly being solved and you're creating a course to help solve that problem so that's part of the equation and once you get that into place and then you prove that you've got product to market fit and people are willing to buy it then we kind of start to get to the point of well now we need to think about scaling it and what are the pieces that we need to scale and there are going to be components around building of team, handling of customer service, some of the finance related stuff. And some of these things just need to happen consistently day in and day out without re-engineering the process. Parts of it work really well with the creativity that the course creator brings, but then part of it, you know, customer service and, you know, we just want to make sure it's happening day in and day out. Someone's responsible, it's consistent, and we meet some certain standards. Those are the types of systems I could imagine would be really important for course creators. Nice. All right. So then the other thing that came out for me is, let's say you put the whole thing in place, right? This might take you a couple of years altogether like to get every single part of it defined, assigned, extracted, organized, integrated, you scaled, you started to optimize, all great. What I then have had conversations with a number of other business owners about is once they get to that stage and they've extracted themselves to the business and everything's running smoothly and it doesn't need them so much, there's this existential angst about like, well, now what am I supposed to do? What's my role in this business? This was my identity. Any thoughts about that? Yeah, look, that's where you see... You know, Steve Jobs, he got to that point and then they start off the next little side business that works outside of the core business and they can go and do their experiments and think about what the next thing is. So in my digital agency, for a period there, I carried a lot of baggage because I, even though I'd involved in a lot of different uh, businesses where systems were core, I got to the digital agency and I thought, ah, this business is different because it's a digital creative agency. If I put systems in place, I'm going to remove the creativity. And what's the point of putting systems in place? Because Google would just update the algorithm and they'd very quickly become out of date. So what's the point? And at all of these reasons why it wasn't going to work. And then I found out that uh, we were pregnant and I thought, I don't want to be that dad who's always too busy. So I've seen people systemize agencies. I'm going to start the same. And then I went to work obviously nine month runway to to get as much of it done as we could. And we uh, systemized the heck out of it. I um, got a CEO in, she started running that business and she ran that business for three years. And I took a year off and I thought, well, I'm never going to sell this business because I meet with her about once a month. She's running the day to day. I get a quarterly payout as a business owner. And I was really, really happy with that. Started off with my systemology stuff. That was my new little side project. 
And I thought, right, I'll just work over here and I'll keep getting my profit. And while systemology was getting off the ground, the other business was effectively funding it because, you know, all new startups take money and energy at the time before they Mm. really start to yield. And then after about three years, um, Melissa, um, the CEO said, oh, look, uh, I've got some family things I have to attend to. I'm going to have to fly back to the States because we're based here in um, Melbourne, Australia. She flew back to the States, stayed for a week. And when she came back, she said, look, I'm going to have to resign. I've got some family things. I'm going to have to move back to the US. And I was in that moment, it was just like, oh no, like um, I was going to have to get either pulled back into that business and systemology was just starting to get off the ground. And I was like, oh, do I really want this? You know, if I do that, then it's going to drop what's happening over here. And I've kind of lost my passion with the digital agency over here. So I was kind of faced with, well, what do I do? And I ended up selling that business. And I realized in hindsight, because systems give you optionality. If I hadn't systemized that business and then she had just pulled the pin or I was still in that business, there's really not much of a saleable asset there because the person who would buy it is just buying another job. Whereas I was able to say, look, this business has been running for the past three years with Melissa in the helm. We've got the systems in place. This works. You just got to find another manager to step in. And the guy who purchased it said, I bought the business for two reasons. I bought it because of the financial performance and I bought it because of the systems. And I said, I've got a couple of other businesses where I can just take these systems and drop it into those businesses as well because they were kind of like a little conglomerate of some digital agencies. Mm. And it just made sense for him. And I had that moment where I thought, business systems, they're almost like a little bit like an insurance because you don't really know what's going to happen around the corner. But I can tell you with systems, it gives you more options, options that I wouldn't have otherwise had. I probably wouldn't have been able to sell it straight away. I would have got pulled back into the business and who knows what would have happened if I didn't have those systems in place. Wow. That's powerful, man. All right. Build systems, everybody. Yeah, that's right. All right. So last question then. You've got the system. You've got it all identified and extracted and assigned and all of this stuff, right? How do you keep everybody consistent with actually following it? Mm. So there's a couple of pieces. A big part of it is around transparency, visibility, and accountability. So you need to make sure that when tasks are being assigned to people and you might, as you grow, you might get yourself a project management platform like an Asana or Trello, Teamwork PM, Monday. I mean, there's a truckload out there. But when a task is assigned, you want to have clear who is doing what by when. And when that task is assigned, you want to have the system attached to that task. Mm-hmm. So that way, there's no confusion about what the expectations are around the completion of that task. And if someone marks it as complete and they haven't quite followed the system, it becomes really easy to say, well, this is the way it's done. You didn't quite do it. Next time, keep the system open and follow it. I don't care if you've got the system open or not, if you're executing it flawlessly, but if you're not executing it properly, then follow the system. Mm. Um, So that's part of it. Part of it is the clear accountability and getting out of, You know, you don't want to be assigning tasks through email and things like that. Like you want to make that clear. And then you also want to make sure like you start to set up different roles inside the business as well. So you'll have a department head. So maybe you've got someone who looks after your marketing and another person who looks after your sales or your HR. Once you start to get a little bit of that accountability, it makes it much easier 
to be assigning out tasks with clear responsibilities and building this culture of this is how we do things here. And it's, it's never really a one and done. Like you don't reach a point where you go, ah, I've systemized everything. Yeah. It's, um, it's constant and never ending improvement. And again, we'll just, we keep on touching on it a few times so we can finish up with it. That idea of interaction, Gino Wickman talks about, um, he has like this issues list and you kind of capture issues throughout the week and the month. And then when you have a meeting, you kind of look at your issues list and then you solve them as a group and you look at your issues. If we add an extra layer in on that, you want to think about solving it at the system level. So if you're seeing a problem that keeps on surfacing, you look at what that issue is and then go, how do we solve this at the system level? Which then means it's a constant game of evolving your systems. And the game is to make sure that you keep elevating the quality of the problems that you're solving. Most business owners, when they start out, they're solving really basic problems, the same one over and over and over and over and over and over again. Whereas you want to put a system in place that solves that problem once and for all so that you can now solve a higher quality problem. So and that's kind of like, wow. you know, it starts off like whack-a-mole, but over time you start to solve bigger and bigger problems and you're not solving these little whack-a-mole problems. I love that. Beautiful. All right, man, let's, let's call that a day then. That's amazing. I really appreciate you taking the time to share this with our audience. Hopefully, if you're listening, you're inspired now to think, I, I need to go create some systems in my business. If people want to get the whole process of this, where can they go yes. to, to get you more of your wisdom? Best place, head to Amazon. If you're listening to this, you're an audio book person. So through Amazon, if you search systemology and uh, there's an audio book version of the book. So just start there. And if you need some extra help, head to systemology.com. I've just got some YouTube videos and other bits and pieces that can help you on your journey. Nice, beautiful. If you found the interview useful and you want to get future episodes, please subscribe wherever you listened and we will talk to you guys next time. Thanks so much, Ken David. Perfect. Thanks, John.